Day 6 of Totus Tuus's Novena to Our Lady of Lourdes With quotes from Blessed John Paul II's Apostolic Letter Salvifici Dolores On the Salvific Meaning of Suffering The same song of the suffering servant in the book of Isaiah leads us through the following verses precisely in the direction of this question and answer. When he offers his life in atonement, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will be accomplished by him. After the torment of his soul, he shall see the light and be filled with knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will justify many by bearing on himself their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a share among the many. He shall divide the spoil of the powerful, because he delivered himself to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and interceded for the transgressors. It can be said that with the passion of Christ, all human suffering has found itself in a new situation. And it is as though Job foresaw this when he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And as if he had directed towards it his own suffering, which, without the redemption, could not have revealed to him the fullness of its meaning. In the cross of Christ, not only is the redemption accomplished through suffering, but also human suffering itself has been redeemed. Christ, without any fault of his own, took on himself the total evil of sin. The experience of this evil determined the incomparable measure of Christ's suffering, which became the price of redemption. The song of the suffering servant in Isaiah speaks of this. In later times, the witnesses of the new covenant, sealed in the blood of Christ, will speak of this. Here are the words of the Apostle Peter in his first letter. No, that it was not at the price of perishable things like silver and gold that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, but by the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Galatians will say, He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this perverse world. And in the first letter to the Corinthians, For you were bought with a very dear price, so glorify God in your body. With these and similar words, the witnesses of the new covenant speak of the greatness of the redemption, accomplished through the suffering of Christ. The Redeemer suffered in place of man and for man. Every man has his own participation in the redemption. Each man is also called to participate in that suffering through which the redemption was accomplished. He is called to participate in the suffering through which all human suffering has also been redeemed. 
in bringing about the redemption through suffering. Christ has, at the same time, raised human suffering to the level of the redemption. Thus, each man, in his suffering, can also become a participant in the redemptive suffering of Christ. The texts of the New Testament express this concept in many places. In the second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle writes, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in our bodies the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Always, in fact, we who are living, we are continually delivered up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Knowing that the one who has resurrected the Lord Jesus will resurrect us also with Jesus. St. Paul speaks of various sufferings, and in particular of those in which the first Christians became participants for the sake of Jesus. These sufferings enable the recipients of that letter to participate in the work of the redemption, accomplished through the suffering and death of the Redeemer. The eloquence of the cross and death is, however, completed by the eloquence of the resurrection. Man finds in the resurrection a completely new light, which helps him to clear a path through the thick darkness of humiliations, doubts, hopelessness and persecution. Therefore the Apostle will also write in the second letter to the Corinthians, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so through Christ our consolation also abounds. Elsewhere he addresses words of encouragement to his recipients. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the patience of Christ. And in the letter to the Romans he writes, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. In these apostolic expressions, the very participation in Christ's suffering finds, as it were, a twofold dimension. If a man becomes a participant in the sufferings of Christ, this happens because Christ has opened his suffering to man, because he himself in his redemptive suffering has become, in a certain sense, a participant in all human sufferings. Man, discovering through faith the redemptive suffering of Christ, also discovers in it his own sufferings. He rediscovers them through faith, enriched with a new content and a new meaning. This discovery caused St. Paul to write particularly strong words in the letter to the Galatians. I am crucified with Christ, and it is no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. This life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith in the Son of God, 
who has loved me and has given himself up for me. Faith permits the author of these words to know that love which led Christ to the cross. And if he loved thus all the way to suffering and dying, it is with this suffering and this death that he lives in the one whom he has loved thus. He lives in the man, in Paul, and living in him to the degree that Paul conscious of this thanks to faith, responds through love to his love. Christ also becomes in a particular way united to the man, to Paul, through the cross. This union caused Paul to also write other words as strong in the same letter to the Galatians. As for me, though, there is no glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by means of which the world has been crucified to me, as I have been to the world. In a most penetrating way, the cross of Christ throws salvific light on the life of man, and in particular on his suffering. Because, thanks to faith, it reaches man together with the resurrection. The mystery of the Passion is contained in the Paschal Mystery. The witnesses of Christ's Passion are at the same time the witnesses of His Resurrection. Paul writes, That I may know Him, Christ, the power of His Resurrection, and may participate in His sufferings, becoming conformed in His death with the hope of reaching the Resurrection of the dead. Truly, the Apostle first experienced the power of the resurrection of Christ on the road to Damascus, and only then, in this paschal light, reached that participation in his sufferings, of which he speaks, for example, in the letter to the Galatians. The path of Paul is clearly paschal. Participation in the cross of Christ comes about through the experience of the risen one, therefore, through a special participation in the resurrection. Thus, even in the Apostles' expressions on the theme of suffering, there so often appears the motif of glory to which the cross of Christ gives birth. The witnesses of the cross and resurrection were convinced that it is necessary to pass through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. And Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, expresses it thus, We ourselves are proud of you, for your steadfastness and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. This is a sign of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be proclaimed worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are suffering. Thus, to participate in the sufferings of Christ is, at the same time, to suffer for the kingdom of God. In the eyes of the just God, according to his judgment, all those who participate in the sufferings of Christ become worthy of this kingdom. Through their sufferings, in a certain sense, they repay the infinite price 
for the passion and death of Christ, which became the price of our redemption. At this price, the kingdom of God has been consolidated anew in the history of man, becoming the definitive perspective of his earthly existence. Christ has introduced us into this kingdom through his suffering. And it is also through suffering that men, wrapped in the mystery of the redemption of Christ, become mature for it. To the perspective of the kingdom of God is united the hope of that glory which finds its origin in the cross of Christ. The resurrection has revealed this glory, eschatological glory, which, in the cross of Christ, was completely obscured by the immensity of suffering. Those who participate in the sufferings of Christ are also called, through their own sufferings, to take part in glory. Paul expresses this in various places. To the Romans he writes, We are co-heirs with Christ, since we participate in his suffering, so also we participate in his glory. I consider that the sufferings of the present moment are not comparable to the future glory which must be revealed in us. In the second letter to the Corinthians we read, For the tribulation of this moment is preparing us for a huge amount of glory in eternity, beyond all comparison. Because we look not to things visible, but to things invisible. The Apostle Peter will express this truth in the following words of his first letter. In the measure to which you participate in the sufferings of Christ, rejoice, so that at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice and be glad. The motif of suffering and glory has a strictly evangelical characteristic, which becomes clear by reference to the cross and the resurrection. The resurrection has become, before all else, the manifestation of glory, which corresponds to the elevation of Christ through the cross. If, in fact, the cross was to the eyes of men Christ's emptying of himself, at the same time it was, in the eyes of God, his elevation. On the cross, Christ reached and realized his mission in all its fullness. By accomplishing the will of the Father, he at the same time realized himself. In weakness, he manifested his power, and in humiliation, all his messianic greatness. Isn't a proof of this greatness found in all the words uttered during his agony on Golgotha? and especially those which concerned the perpetrators of his crucifixion. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. To those who participate in the sufferings of Christ, these words impose themselves as a supreme example. Suffering is also a call to manifest the moral greatness of man, his spiritual maturity. In different generations, the martyrs and confessors of Christ 
have given proof of this by their faithfulness to these words. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. The resurrection of Christ has revealed the glory of the age to come, and at the same time has confirmed the boast of the cross, this glory which is contained in the very suffering of Christ, and which so many times has been and is reflected in the suffering of man as an expression of his spiritual greatness. We must give testimony to this glory not only in the martyrs of the faith, but also in many other men, who, at times even without faith in Christ, suffer and give their lives for the truth and for a just cause. In the sufferings of all of these, the great dignity of man is confirmed in a particular way. Suffering, in fact, is always a trial at times a very hard trial, to which humanity is subjected. In the pages of the letters of St. Paul, this gospel paradox of weakness and strength is often spoken to us, a paradox particularly experienced by the Apostle himself, and together with him by all those who participate in Christ's sufferings. Paul writes in the second letter to the Corinthians, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. In the second letter to Timothy we read, This is the cause of the ills that I suffer, but I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed. And in the letter to the Philippians he will even say, I can do all things in him who gives me strength. Those who participate in Christ's sufferings have before their eyes the paschal mystery of the cross and of the resurrection, in which Christ descends, in a first phase, all the way to the extreme limits of human weakness and impotence. Indeed, he dies nailed to the cross. But if at the same time in this weakness his elevation is accomplished, confirmed by the power of the resurrection, then this means that the weaknesses of all human sufferings can be permeated by the power of God, which is manifested in the cross of Christ. According to this concept, to suffer means to become particularly receptive, particularly open to the working of the salvific powers of God, offered to humanity in Christ. In him, God has confirmed his desire to act especially by means of suffering, which is man's weakness and emptying of self, and his desire to manifest his power precisely in this weakness and emptying of self. This also explains the recommendation in the first letter of Peter. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in this name. In the letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul pronounces even more fully on the theme of this birth of power in weakness, of this spiritual renewal of man in the midst of trials and tribulations, 
which is the special vocation of those who participate in the sufferings of Christ. We rejoice all the more in our tribulations, knowing well that tribulations produce patience. Patience proves virtue, and virtue proves hope. Hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by means of the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. In suffering, it's contained, as it were, a particular call to virtue, which man must exercise on his part. And this is the virtue of perseverance, in bearing whatever disturbs and causes harm. In so doing, man releases hope, which maintains in him the conviction that suffering will not prevail over him, will not deprive him of his dignity as a man, a dignity united to the awareness of the meaning of life. And indeed, this meaning of life is manifested together with the working of the love of God, which is the supreme gift of the Holy Spirit. In the measure to which he participates in this love, man rediscovers himself in all his depths in suffering. He rediscovers the soul which he thought he had lost because of suffering. However, the Apostles' experiences of participating in the sufferings of Christ go even further. In the letter to the Colossians we read words which constitute, as it were, the final stage of the spiritual journey in relation to suffering. St. Paul writes, I rejoice in the sufferings I endure for you, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, for the sake of his body which is the church. And in another letter he asks his readers, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? In the Paschal Mystery, Christ inaugurated the union with man in the community of the Church. The mystery of the Church is expressed in this, that already in the act of baptism, which is configuration to Christ, and then through his sacrifice, sacramentally through the Eucharist, the Church is continually being spiritually built up as the body of Christ. In this body, Christ wishes to be united with every man, and he is united in a particular way to those who suffer. The words from the letter to the Colossians cited above testify to the exceptional nature of this union. For indeed, the one who suffers in union with Christ, as the Apostle Paul endures his tribulations in union with Christ, not only draws from Christ that strength which has already been discussed, but also completes by his suffering that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. In this evangelical picture is highlighted in a particular way the truth about the creative character of suffering. The suffering of Christ has created the good of the redemption of the world. This good, in itself, is inexhaustible and infinite.
no man can add anything to it. But at the same time, in the mystery of the church as his body, Christ has, in a sense, opened his own redemptive suffering to every human suffering of man. In the measure to which man becomes a participant in the sufferings of Christ, in whatever part of the world and in whatever time in history, he completes in his own way the suffering through which Christ has worked the redemption of the world. Does this mean that the redemption accomplished by Christ is not complete? No, it only means that the redemption, worked through the power of reparatory love, remains constantly open to all love which is expressed in human suffering. In this dimension, the dimension of love, the redemption already totally and fully accomplished, is, in a certain sense, being accomplished constantly. Christ has worked the redemption completely and to the very end. But at the same time, he has not closed it. In this redemptive suffering, through which is worked the redemption of the world, Christ has opened himself from the beginning and constantly opens himself to every human suffering. Yes, it seems to be part of the very essence of the redemptive suffering of Christ, that it requires to be unceasingly completed. In this way, with such an openness to every human suffering, Christ has worked through his own suffering the redemption of the world. Indeed, this redemption, even though accomplished in all its fullness by the suffering of Christ, at the same time lives and develops in its own way in the history of man. It lives and develops as the body of Christ, which is the Church. And in this dimension, every human suffering, by virtue of the union in the love of Christ, completes the suffering of Christ. It completes it as the Church completes the redemptive work of Christ. The mystery of the Church, of this body which also completes in itself the crucified and risen body of Christ, indicates at the same time that space in which human sufferings complete the sufferings of Christ. Only within this radius and in this dimension of the Church body of Christ, which continually develops in space and time, can one think and speak of what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. The Apostle, moreover, puts this clearly in relief when he writes of completing what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the Church. The Church, which unceasingly draws from the infinite resources of the redemption, introducing it into the life of humanity, is precisely the dimension in which the redemptive suffering of Christ can be constantly completed by the suffering of man. 
This puts into relief the divine human nature of the Church. Suffering seems to participate in some way in the characteristics of this nature. And for this reason, suffering has a special value in the eyes of the Church. It is a good before which the Church bows down with veneration in all the depth of her faith in the redemption. She likewise bows down before it in all the depth of that faith with which she embraces within herself the inexpressible mystery of the body of Christ. Let us pray. Hail Mary, poor and humble woman, blessed by the Most High, Virgin of Hope, prophecy of the new times, we join in your song of praise to celebrate the mercies of the Lord, to proclaim the coming of the Kingdom and the full liberation of humanity. Hail Mary, humble servant of the Lord, glorious Mother of Christ, faithful Virgin, holy dwelling of the Word, teach us to persevere in listening to the Word, to be docile to the voice of the Spirit, attentive to His appeals in the intimacy of our conscience, and to His manifestations in the events of history. Hail Mary, Woman of Sorrow, Mother of the Living, Virgin Spouse Beneath the Cross, The New Eve, Be our guide along the paths of the world, Teach us to live and spread the love of Christ, To stand with you beneath the innumerable crosses On which your Son is still crucified. Hail Mary, woman of faith, first of the disciples, virgin mother of the church, help us always to give an account for the hope which is in us, trusting in the goodness of man and the love of the Father. Teach us to build the world from within, in the depths of silence and prayer in the joy of fraternal love, in the irreplaceable fruitfulness of the cross. Holy Mary, Mother of Believers, Our Lady of Lourdes, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.